Well, Tuesday is election day. There, I've said it. I have acknowledged it, and now I want to move past it, and I want to move beyond it. And actually, what I want us to do this morning is to move above it. And that is my desire to extract us for just a few minutes, extract us with the goo dripping off of us from all the muck and the mire and the mess. After all, we are, according to Jesus, not of this world. In fact, to quote Jesus, he said, my disciples, they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. And so this morning, I pray that we can be supernatural. With the supernatural aid of the Holy Spirit, lift our eyes above what's going on and place them and fix them on Christ who is seated above in power and glory and to allow the reality of the glory of Christ and the power of Christ to give context to the national context in which we find ourselves replacing election angst, replacing pandemic angst with a calm and quiet spirit because Hallelujah. The Lord God Almighty reigns. To replace grumbling and complaining with words of faith and words of acceptance because, hallelujah, the Lord God Almighty reigns. It feels so good to say that out loud. And I want you to feel good because I feel good. And so you don't have to do this, but if you want to do this, Join me and say, and I'm telling you, it feels good. You ready? Here we go. Hallelujah for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Feels good, doesn't it? And I believe that. I think that you believe that as well. And so my challenge to myself and my challenge to you is that we be true to what we believe. That we would uh, allow what we say we have faith in to make a real difference in our Chapter 19, 
Apostle John writes, After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Before the Lord saved him and changed his name to Paul, he went on. 
but hopefully to put them to death for their faith in Christ. And then the government got involved. Emperor Nero decided that he would blame the Christians for the great fire that destroyed a great portion of the city of Rome. And so now uh, the emperor is after them, and the Roman citizens are angry at Christians for what they've done. And so those are the days when God's people were burned. Those are the days when God's people were fed to the lions. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were in that context, I believe I would need a little help, uh, a future hope to keep me believing in the present and not give up. I would need to know that the Lord was at work right now in that moment in this revelation that God gives to John. It gives that hope to God's beleaguered people that God is at work. Look at verse 1. John hears a great multitude crying out, Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Now why? Is there such joy? Why is there such celebrating in heaven? It's because the Lord has been at work and he has been victorious. Now look in the second half of verse 2. For God has judged the great prostitutes who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. This is not the first time that we've read about this great prostitute. Listen to how she's described in previous chapters of Revelation. She's described as dressed in purple and scarlet and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. And the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. So put it all together. She is seductive. She is alluring. Everywhere, everywhere she has power to corrupt with her immorality, with her abominable things. She incites greed and lust and the love for and the pursuit of money and the self-absorbed gluttonous living. She is for everything that God is against. She leads people to the exact places where God says they should not go and she seduces them into valuing the things that God tells people they should not value. And this prostitute is actually a symbol of a nation. Even at that time, the ancient nation of Babylon. It's that nation. And nations like it that promote and go after everything that is against God. And so what does God do to this prostitute to this nation, Babylon, and to every nation like it, verse 2 says he judged her, judged the nation. The NIV says condemned. The New Living Translation says punished. So here's the thing. God didn't miss a thing. Everything that was done in the nations of the world, God saw it. All the injustices, God saw them. Every legislation, every policy that promoted and put into place what was antithetical to God's 
like God did not see it. At the time, it appeared that God was not at work. It felt like to his people that God had given up and gone away. It seemed in the moment like the darkness was greater than the light. It looked before the Lord, praying for their families, 
So we see that Jesus was born to be king. And as king, Jesus has both the will and the power to make things right. To make things the way they are supposed to be. Now truthfully, can I tell you the truth? I am a little exhausted about talking uh, about all the ways that things are not the way they are supposed to be in our country. I'm exhausted in talking about the God-denying, truth-squelching, soul-crushing, family-demolishing, identity-altering, society-unraveling, environment-destroying, justice-denying policies promoted by the Democrats and the Republicans. Are you exhausted? I'm exhausted. We all know that things are not the way they are supposed to be. And so my only hope is that those who love the Lord, and that includes you, will actually love the Lord more than they love a political leader or a political party. My prayer is that those who love the Lord will line up behind Christ. He's our King. And be loyal to Him alone. My prayer is that we'll find our common ground and our common love and our common purpose and our common hope in Him. Because guess what? Only Jesus can make things right. And He's shown us that He can do that. When he entered into Jerusalem five days before He was to die on the cross, Palm Sunday. It was amid shouts of blessings, the King of Israel. People were finally giving to Jesus the honor, the glory, the worship that He deserved. That's the way it's supposed to be. And then, King Jesus, what did he do? He said these words, Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Satan is the prince of the world. Jesus is the king. And King Jesus says that Satan will be cast out, expelled, forced out. That's what our king can do. Do you believe it? Jesus gave an illustration of what casting out looks like. And he went to the temple. When he looked around, he saw the money changers there. He saw the people buying and selling. And he saw that the temple had been turned into a marketplace. And he knew that's not the way it was supposed to be. He knew that that's not the plan of God for his house. The temple was ordained by God to be a house of prayer, a place where people can meet with God. And so Jesus, watch it, with the power and the authority of a king, he made the temple what it was supposed to be. And he went in and he knew the story. He flipped over the tables of the money changers. And he took a whip in his hand and he drove them out. And he said, my house will be called a house of prayer. And Jesus wasn't gentle or nice or polite. The disciples who witnessed this event described the emotion of Jesus as consuming zeal. Jesus was literally eaten up by a passion to make things the way they are supposed to be. And that's what he did. Because Matthew tells us that immediately after Jesus cleansed the temple and drove the money changers out, this is what happened. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's what's supposed to be going on in the temple. And so our comfort and our joy is that our king has a passion to set things right in his kingdom. And that should give 
make things right. To make things the way that God ordained them to be. Christ, our King, went to the cross. Jesus exercised his kingly authority. He said in John 10, no one takes my life from me. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down in my own accord and I will take it up again. And so Jesus exercised that kingly authority to go to the cross, to stay on the cross, to die on the cross, so that the power of Satan could be broken and death could be defeated. Is that good news about your king? Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. For the Lord God Almighty reigns. And finally this morning, the third implication that always our king involved, not only will he make things the way they are supposed to be, but the church of Christ will be victorious. Look at verse 7. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. Why? For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Who is the Lamb? You know, it's Christ. Who is the bride? You know, it's the church. And Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for the church to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. Let me tell you, the church, and that's people, that's you and me, we are the great love of Jesus Christ. He loves his church. He loves his people. So much that he gave himself so that we might be cleansed and sanctified. And we need to be cleansed and sanctified so we can be presented before a holy God. And that's what Christ does on our behalf. And so what happens to the church in this world? The church that's the great love of Christ, that is what is of greatest and most central importance. Let me just tell you, everything else is peripheral. What's important in this world right now is what God is doing in His church. I love this country. I do love America. And I long to see our country be led by people who desire to do what's right before a holy God. So, so I love America, that's what I want. The question is, does God love America? Does God love America? I can't answer that question, and neither can you. But does God love the church, the bride of Christ in America? Does God love the church in America? And I can answer that question unhesitatingly, with absolute certainty, yes. He loves his church intensely and sacrificially. And so what you and I need to do in light of that reality is to be bold enough, come on, be bold enough to pray that God will place over us leaders that will cause his church, force his church, require his church. 
if those leaders love the Lord God and, and trust Him and seek to live and lead according to the Word of God, then hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. If those leaders give the most service to God, but then act contrary to His will, or if they make no pretense at all of loving the Lord or His truth, and as a result, our nation's plunged into moral darkness, and guess what? Our hope they can't because we know, Lord, that you are on the throne. Thank you. 
reveal from John 